0: This is To Depth with John, the podcast where coaches go into more depth on how they got into the field and how they've made coaching a part of their life. Today, John Steya is being interviewed to set the stage for future episodes on how he got into coaching and what's led him to this point. Please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation between him and Katie Crawford.
1: <laughs> We're live. We're recording.
2: Just- I can't actually believe that we got this together so quickly, but that is just a testament to your amazing ingenuity and
1: these six hours it took to read through the instruction manual here
2: i mean logistically like when was it when did we speak before i came home i want to say two weeks prior was it only two weeks before i got back
1: maybe a little bit before then and i noticed it was black friday and made the commitment (laughs) that i was going to do this yeah and here we are yeah i think it's what the people wanted i put the vibe out and this seemed like something that people wanted to hear from?
2: So I don't have Instagram before we introduce ourselves.
1: This works, so let's, let's talk about this. As somebody who doesn't have social media, you haven't seen anything that I've
0: been doing for Well, I, I watch you on YouTube. Year. I yes. watch you on YouTube, yeah. Yes.
2: So I don't have a real sense of, eight hey, your audience. I have a sense of your place of work, so I know who you're interacting with kind of on a daily. I have a pretty good sense of that. I don't know a lot of your athletes, but I know a lot of your, I don't know what you call your non-athletic clientele. I was going to say your, your NARPs. Uh, they're, they're
1: just clients. <laughs> NARPs <laughs> is what the uh, the folder on Dropbox is labeled as, yes. Okay, but, so according to Instagram Insights, most of my following yeah. is from people aged, I want to say 24 to 30 in that bracket, or 25 to 30, something like that. So oh, around my age. A yeah. couple Gen Zs. A lot of... Mostly males, almost 70% male.
2: So you skew like Jordan Peterson. Yes. Or intend to.
1: Though I think that's in the people who follow me and the people who are on my page, because that's the majority of people that I have on Instagram, because that's the demographic I'm in. But I don't know that that's necessarily true of who watches all of the content. Because it's never the people you think that interact with me. Mm -hmm. The ones that reach out and will either say something positive are more often than not, people that I haven't interacted with in years.
2: I buy that. That makes sense to me. Which
1: gives me a better sense that I'm actually doing something of value.
2: Right, because the people that see you are probably just going to tell you, as opposed to comment.
1: I I actually find the people that I see more regularly don't say anything at all.
2: Interesting. Yeah. So is that like your clients or is that like your friends? More my friends. Oh.
1: They'll watch it, but uh, I get very little back and forth from them on it. Because it's not their thing. And to be fair, maybe they get enough of it when they see me in real life.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you are pretty consistent yeah. in the in the presentation of self. Yes. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, because we talked about this and then I peppered you with text messages. Yes. About what we were, we're going to call this. What we
1: are going to call it and what we can add in the rapid fire round lately. Yes. Stay tuned. Yes. So at this point, we can do an intro here. So yes. This is the tentatively titled... To Depth with John, the podcast where I hope to go into more depth uh, with coaches about why they coach. And just like depth, it is completely subjective to each individual. So hopefully we reach a a new level of depth with, with everyone that comes on. And to start things, I am being interviewed by Katie Crawford. I thought it would make the most sense to have Katie interview me. Because she is... uh, Well, Katie, why why don't you say what you're doing for your grad school and PhD work?
2: Gladly. In my second year of my doctorate at the University of Bath in Bath, England, I'm in the Department for Health, specializing in sports psychology. And in particular, my research focuses on group dynamics and teamwork specifically. We don't need to get into huge depth about teamwork today but perhaps at a later date we can we can talk about teamwork but I did my master's I graduated from my master's this past December so a year ago from the University of British Columbia where I have a master's in kinesiology again specializing in sport exercise and health psychology with my research there focused on athlete help seeking behaviors so particularly male professional ice hockey athletes help seeking behaviors. And then before that, I did a undergrad at the University of British Columbia in sociology with a minor in critical studies and sexuality. And I also have a diploma in guidance studies from the University of British Columbia. So, yeah, professional students since 18. I'm now just turned 29 a couple of days ago. So I've been in university. I took one year off in between my, undergr- my between my diploma and my master's. So I've been a post-secondary student for a decade.
1: Yeah. And so Katie, like one one of the big things too, what makes you particularly valuable today is that you have a Mm. a unique ability to interview people who have a connection to sport. And because, and in some ways you grew up interviewing a coach every day (laughs) with, in your, in your family life.
2: Yeah. So I'm a qualitative researcher. I now do a bit more mixed methods. I do some quant deal with some numbers, although numbers aren't necessarily where I, I deal best. I deal best in narratives. So I do a lot of interviewing for my research. So yes, you would be interviewing is a skill set that I'm, you know, constantly working on. But it is it is the basis of my of my research is in is in interviewing.
1: And and that's why I thought, who better to interview me than my friend who is essentially a professional interviewer. Well, I don't
2: know about a professional interviewer, but I do, do it often. And well, I also think it was a it was a cool idea because I find with a lot of podcasts is that there's a lot of assumptions made about the host, and then the host never really gets their moment to be interviewed. So I think this is a cool opportunity for you to get introduced to your own audience and to introduce your format by getting yourself introduced and having yourself being interviewed.
1: Yeah, and it's it's the if if people are more interested to in what I've said so far, then hopefully a deeper look into. Who I am and how I think about things is is a great way to start things off. Or I then try and interview people about how they think about things. And you and your interviewing skills. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Exactly. And you'll just be getting peppered with notes from me at really bizarre times with the time change.
1: Yeah, that that brings us to why are we here? I wanted to one have an excuse to talk to friends and colleagues that are in the coaching space because it's something I genuinely enjoy and I genuinely like looking more into why they coach and talking about coaching with them, so there is it. It only made sense to me to be able to do that in a way where I'm able to share it with other people and also kind of make it a formal arrangement where it's like, oh, we're doing this to create something rather than this is just a, a conversation that we have and it might evolve into something else. It's it's really thought out and a planned. Like we're we're talking about coaching, or. Mm-hmm we are trying to get to the bottom of why we do something. It's
2: always good to also ex- just exploit your friends. Yes. Yeah, I think it, that's always really important as well, is that we can't just go for a coffee. I need you to sit here in my apartment and do a podcast with me. I think that's really the basis of what, you know, friendship's going to look like for you in this next phase of your career.
1: And that's that's completely fine. <laughs> I, I'm excited.
2: But I, you know what is about about you, John, is you are, in a lot of ways, always podcasting. That's kind of just like the mode at which you sort of operate in your daily dialogue. I'll give a great story about John. So it was my my birthday, my 29th birthday, a couple of days ago, and we're all sitting at a local restaurant with most of my friends, a lot of those people there, I would say, you're not super familiar with.
1: Prior to that day, maybe met (laughs) two times.
2: Yeah, and John One of
1: those times was the day before.
2: Yeah, yeah, John shows up an hour and a half late because he was writing Christmas cards to all of his athletes and clients and which is the most John reason to be an hour and a half late to anything So he sits down, you know, kind of does the introduces himself to everybody at the table You know kind of immerses himself in whatever the conversation had been at that point And then he just at everyone at the table and just says So what's one thing everyone would like to change about the way they were raised? <laughs> okay, I'm glad
1: you brought that up actually. I've been thinking about that. So I, I see that as a lot of conversations that happen, you've heard the horrible expression where it's, you know, there's three levels of conversation. People talk about other people, people talk about events, and then the highest level is when people talk about ideas. Mm. So uh, I, I get very bored when I'm with a group of people, and even if it's my friends and even if it's things I've done, but we're just talking about either people who aren't there mm. or things that we all did. Mm. And I've stopped looking at this as the conversation and the people are boring or bad. And I wanna try first to then change the topic of conversation. Mm. If we can start talking about who we are and some of our ideas, then everyone is able to share in it Mm. because then we're sharing an experience there. Mm. And it's, we're all better for it. Oh
2: no, it was was great. It completely changed the vibe and the energy of the night. Everyone that I've talked to since has brought up that like (laughs) questioning from Katie's friend, John. But it was really funny at first people are kind of like is this kind of for real everyone's kind of like looking at each other like are we really going to go along with this and then before we know it like every we're having the most wholesome conversation like people are really like sharing some of the things about the way they were raised about their parents that they perhaps maybe don't really necessarily agree with but then then it then it evolved so then we got into a conversation about well, all of these things that we would have changed about our parents, how does that now affect us in, a, in maybe a more positive way? And it really just like completely blossomed the whole night. And then you asked another question. What was the other question? Oh, I
1: flipped it around. So I thought we were being a little bit too negative. So what's something that, you know, a trait, non-physical, that your parents gave you that you are thankful for?
2: Right. Because I said I can't say Mark's quads. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to pick something else, Right. And then what we also, so that I jumped in, because I obviously can't be on the outside when everyone's, any, when anyone's having an emotional conversation, I have to be really a facilitator. So I changed the rule on the table and I made people say the responses for ah, other people at the table. Yes. Yeah. So we had a couple couples at the table. So I made the couples give the responses for their partner or a couple like best friends were at the table and I made them give them for their best friend. I thought it was really fun, but it was great. And I think... It sounds like that's really what you want to do with this. Yes. Yeah, in like a formal sort of setting in an Exploitative manner with all of your friends.
1: Yeah with my friends and people that I know and hopefully it'll expand beyond that So I'm able to talk to more interesting people, but I am very at the stage of my life I'm in right now. I'm very interested in getting people to go into more depth about who they are and things that they're passionate about because that's what interests me and it interests me having conversations with people Uh, and I know that I've spent a lot of time Mm -hmm. talking about the things that I'm passionate about and sharing that with other people. Mm -hmm. So if people share those things with me, then I feel like we're on a much more level playing field. Mm. where everyone is sharing something of value and if someone is able to share their experience and they haven't really thought about it in that depth before Mm. then maybe it helps them but then what i really would like is if these things are recounted and they're able to help somebody that hasn't had those experiences or hasn't questioned those things before then maybe they can see that there is one pathway to do something Mm. or maybe they can use those questions and start to think about what they want and how they want coaching to fit into their life or Maybe it's somebody completely outside of that and they can apply those same lessons just to their own life. Coaching doesn't have to be about sport or about how you pursue athletics. It can be about how you pursue life.
2: And just how you deal with people and how you, you talk about motivation. You can talk about communication. There's so many applicable things that I think you're going to get into with all of your guests that apply to so many different fields beyond sport and apply to... You know, education. It can apply to any sort of workplace scenario, family partnerships. I really think that what, and I mean, it's it's a cheesy thing that gets said a lot about sport, but it can really be applied so far and beyond. And hopefully, the conversations naturally bring that up. It doesn't even have to be a stretch.
1: That's my real hope is that it's a dialogue that there's maybe a few points that spur on conversation when needed, but it really is just more free form and flowing mm-hmm. because I know there have been. More than enough times I've been talking to people about coaching, and it is so driven by how passionate the people having the conversation are mm. that it just time disappears. You look up and it's where did those hours go? We just spent. Uh, I know there's there's a really good example during during the start of the pandemic. Me and some friends that are all coaches were used Zoom a lot to talk mm. about things and. There was one day where I'm pretty sure we tried to solve the problems of the world (laughs) via Zoom and we're on for maybe six hours in a row, just trying to figure out what we were going to do with the athletes that we worked with. What was our plan? What was our plan with our life? Were we as coaches going to be able to continue? What were some of the things we were learning? What were we doing with our time? And because we, we just cared so much about being able to keep coaching and being able to keep doing what we were doing either in the moment there and keep providing something to the athletes that we were working with or in the future because it was such a part of our life and I guess a part of our identity as well but it was just something we connected with so much and I think that's that's the crux of it a lot of the people that coach really care and they really care about coaching and they'll be able to talk about it forever
2: it's a passion-driven industry
1: yeah Very much.
2: Very few people I know getting to coaching because, you know, the money is excellent or, you know, the hours are so flexible or the lifestyle is really accommodating. Everyone that I know that I've met through my sporting experience or my academic experiences that's a coach is doing it because they love the sport, they love athletes, they love working with people, they love, you know, their teachers by heart or by nature. So that is really the beauty of, of coaching. This is a good, this is not a good, necessarily a good segue. And I know this is going to sound like this is really scripted, but I actually, it has just occurred to me that I actually do not know how you got started. I don't think I have ever heard this story.
0: Yeah.
1: How I got started in coaching was the standard way that a lot of people who get involved in strength and conditioning. Mm -hmm. It's you play sports
0: your sports? Uh, so
1: I was through high school football, wrestling and rugby. I was a typical Carson Graham. So I can't read at all but the big contact sports and I was not i was never great at those sports. I didn't have a lot of genetic ability right off the bat so it took a lot of work effort and then in my grade 12 year I, I had an ACL tear mm. and I had a large abdominal surgery after my first term of university too so it was A few things that just kind of put me. So between lack of overall athletic ability and injury history, I knew pursuing sport was not going to be something I did, but I loved being active and I loved exercise. So I thought that was maybe the next closest thing. So I I knew there was something there and I didn't know quite what it was yet. I was, when I was in high school, I had a mutual connection of ours. Well, our mutual connector, the the one and only Joe McCollum.
2: Did you just shed a tear saying that name? <laughs> Should we call him over? He's across the street probably right now. He's likely across the street. There's no way he'd tolerate any of this. Absolutely not, especially with us drinking tea. No, he'd punch sitting him in, in the chest. <laughs> no feelings.
1: Uh, yeah, especially talking about anything in depth. I can't wait for when we get him on for the 100th episode.
2: Because yeah, it will take that long for him to like realize that no it's way. happening.
1: Well, no, no, it's because it's going to take the other 99 episodes of me messaging Joe, please, Joe, please, Joe, please, Joe, please, Joe. It's the 10 anniversary no joe Mm -hmm. it's the 50th and 50th Mm -hmm. episode Mm -hmm. no no but so joe was one of my high school coaches and he trained katie as well
0: what did he
2: coach you in i Uh, never knew he coached you
1: yeah so joe everything because joe went to carson football he he helped a little bit coaching defensive offensive line at carson Mm -hmm. and he was a wrestling coach so he would help out there you'd know that you were doing fitness if you saw joe's old blue pickup in the parking lot that day and he would do the same thing with rugby.
2: Okay, be honest. When you entered the workforce, when you reconnected with Joe as a as an employee, did he remember you from Carson? Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah
1: he, I, he, he remembers everyone. Yeah, I know. And that, So that's what happened. I, I went through my undergrad and towards the tail end of my undergrad, Joe was giving a presentation to a club that I was in and he remembered me. I, I did not think he was going to, he must meet hundreds if not thousands of people in that time span hundred, but yeah. no problem I was interested in coaching interested in strength and conditioning and training and he told me to come out to level 10 because they had a hockey program out there and that's where I had the the good and bad fortune to be connected with a Carl Bergstrom who hopefully will come on the show someday Seventy eighth. yeah
2: Seventy
1: eighth. yeah whenever Golden State wins another championship <laughs> where I got the opportunity to actually coach for the first time. And I was just thrown head first And between Joe and Carl, I was thrown into the thick of it in the summer program there. Just straight into, hey, John, run this warm up. I've never done this before in my life. Sure, all right. Let's see, you did this, this, and this. Okay, let's try that. Then going back into the school year, doing the exact same thing with the men's rugby team at UBC. So where are
2: we timeline-wise? Uh, this is,
1: is probably around like 2013.
2: Okay, yeah. so you're... So are you so are you done at Cap at this point? Yes, yes, yes. So you-
1: I am. I am in the final year of my undergrad at UBC. Okay. And so I've reconnected with Joe. I've gotten introduced to coaching at level ten, and I've gotten introduced to coaching at UBC in the varsity gym. This is pre-Joe working there though. Okay. So I did one full year where I did Monday nights with the team. Joe did Wednesday nights. Okay, and it was this was in like so rugby
2: had a separate work. program. They weren't yes. using. The, okay, I remember this. Yes. yes,
1: rugby used to do their own thing, and I would just kind of you know do some warm ups, maybe give a couple coaching cues here and there. Then come around to the end of the year, I graduated and immediately started working level ten. Got offered a job to work with a hockey program out there, and it was my first real real job. I, like I didn't even have my diploma yet and I was working on the gym floor started with a couple clients and did the hockey in the summers then went back because Joe got hired at UBC mm-hmm. so I got Best to coach at it. yeah I'm sure a lot of athletes would say that too <laughs> so I got the chance to work with men's rugby still at UBC mm, you
2: were their main you were the main guy with rugby
1: yeah at that point I was given a lot of responsibility and I think that's what gave me a lot more enjoyment of coaching. So if I really have to pinpoint when I really felt it, Mm. it was definitely seeing the summers and getting a lot of responsibility there. And then in the school year, being given a lot of responsibility with men's rugby at UBC and being part of this chaotic team environment (laughs) where everyone's working towards something, where I was able to lead a group. It was something I'd never really experienced before, but it was, like, it's intoxicating. When you are in this environment and you're in front of people and you say words and people do them and you are just able to give so much and lead them through something. And that was really just the first part of it. What really makes it special is when the change actually occurs. So there's right. the short term stuff like, you know, maybe maybe they do an exercise a little bit better, mm. but then over the course of a year when they change or over the course of a program or something where they get stronger or they, they change their attitude or they... They really are like, wow, this this like this is different. Like I feel different. And that's that's a really big part of it too.
2: I liked the what you had said earlier about the intoxicating effects of being in and being at the front of the classroom and leading the way and you speaking and people listening. Because I think this is something that a lot of coaches aren't quick to acknowledge that this is a natural pull to be in that kind of profession like there's obviously something about being a coach that makes you want to stand at the front of the class makes you want to be the one that's essentially talking but i'm curious is that something that was natural to you or was like would younger john be really surprised to see you in a group of 30 rugby players barking orders
1: no 100 i i became a different person as a result so i've always likened coaching a lot to performing art or maybe stand-up comedy, I felt a, a kinsmanship. And if you've ever, you know, seen me perform a warm-up, mm. it, it is very much like that. Like, it, it's a bit, and you're in character mm. almost. Uh, and especially early on. Yeah. Because John, pre-coaching, was very, or much more introverted and mm. not as comfortable, uh, especially in front of a large group, and w- wouldn't have done anything like that. But John, in coaching, that that is who he is, and that's right. who he is now.
2: Which you actually hear a lot of stand-up comics talk about yeah. is how when they're off stage, you know, they're definitely funny, they're cracking jokes. They're, they're the class clowns, they're not the whole king, right? So they're they're far more of the guy at the back of the class that's cracking jokes or trying to make people laugh. That is interesting that you have this, almost like this coaching persona. What would you say, you're, what is your character? What is in character for John?
1: Now I think it's, it's just who I am. I think I, I am much more mm. genuine, both on the floor and off. And I, I become a more level version of myself at the start there was definitely you switch on mm-hmm. and the high really really mm-hmm. brought it out of me and I would try and and I I've, I've had this recounted to me before before I would run a warm up I would be maybe in the office at UBC in that tiny little dingy office that's <laughs> smaller than this table and just psyching myself up, and I've seen impressions of me getting ready to do a <laughs> warm up for my friends. And John's just, I'm he's, he's sitting in the, in the office thinking, all right, okay, so we're gonna do this. I'm gonna get, okay, we'll grab three med balls here, and then we're gonna line them up here, and then I'm gonna do that, okay, and then we're gonna go skips, but their arms have to be straight up over their head, and then they're gonna rotate clockwise. And then when we're on the ground, we're gonna do go, so we lift off both hands. And Full
2: dress rehearsal in your brain before you even get on the floor. Yeah. It's like in the
1: Nicolas Cage version of the film Gone in 60 Seconds. Sure. He does this weird thing with his hands and he kind of like flips on. And that's that's what I felt like. It was like I am stepping out in front of a crowd. I, I am so ready to go by the time we get there and I black out and things just happen. Like that. Sure. that's how it used to be. When I was at UBC it, it, was, it was electric.
2: You're getting hit. You're oh, getting yeah. the hit. Yeah. Yeah, getting that endorphin hit. That is interesting. I
1: would walk into the gym and ask if I could run warm-up for teams that weren't mine. I would just be like, hey, so who's, who's, you guys, do you guys mind if I, I'll I'll just jump in. You want me to, all right, give me like three things I have to do in the warm-up. Okay. 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 All right. So it's, this is the primary. Okay. I have 11 minutes and you want me to incorporate 10 pound plates. Done. Done. Okay. We're ready.
2: Really finding what we would say, like finding your voice. Yes. Finding your style, finding your philosophy, and then okay, so keep keep going chronologically. Where are we uh, where are so we going? This, once I
1: kind of gotten through the the intoxication phase, where mm. I was, I knew I wanted to coach, and I was really lucky that the first thing I did was something I was so passionate about, but also good at. And I can't mm. say that that's everyone's experience, especially coming Quality. through and, and being in that gym for so long and seeing other coaches. Work there, and that's Mm -hmm. not to say that they were bad coaches, it's just that maybe that wasn't their skill set, and maybe it wasn't something that they enjoyed the same way I did. Yeah, and it it would always confuse me because I thought, Well, this is the best place on earth, how does everyone not love being here? But it it was my place.
2: Well, you were doing your master's at this time,
1: yes, yes. I was doing my master's through the latter half of me working at UBC, uh, and that was it, it got to the point where I was prioritizing coaching for. Effectively free uh, over just about anything else. Instead of working the paid hours I was also doing at level 10. I would make sure I had more time to be at UBC. Mm. I would be there on weekends I would be there late during the week because Mm. it was just so fun.
2: What about that environment or or that environment at that time or that environment at that time in your life specifically that was so special?
1: Uh, There's a few things. One the autonomy that I had there was Mm. unreal. Joe, he really put me in the right direction, but then just really took the training wheels off and just let me kind of do whatever mm. I wanted, I, especially once I was writing the programs and I I was really the, the main point of contact with the team a lot of the time. That that really felt good and was a great experience.
2: Who else were you working with? You had, you had men's rugby.
1: Men's rugby was really a big one. I, I worked with everyone in some way, shape, okay. or form eventually, but I did a couple of years of men's hockey and okay. that was great too, but yeah, I did the same kind of thing. I, I already had so much responsibility there and I think it was just adding on. It's the guys that I can banter with that again to come back to what i was talking about with stand-up comedy i am lucky that i am of a quick enough wit mm. that if there's something in the warm-up and i can make fun of somebody or <laughs> crack a joke here or there yeah. it, it'll usually land right and that's that's not a skill that everyone has
2: no and almost like like a good stand-up comic like you gotta essentially put people at ease you have to have... People have to trust you and then once you have that level of with whatever group that you're working with, the laughs and the banter and the jokes and the real camaraderie is just like... I mean, there's nothing like being in a weight room or in a dry land or whatever the teams call it. There is something different about it from being in practice, for instance. Yeah. and I, I know what it was for me, but I'm curious what you think the difference is for the athletes, from the athlete's perspective.
1: I think it's... Even more of an extension than, you know the difference in the relationship you have between your head coach and your assistant coach?
2: Yes. Yes, I do.
1: Yeah. So it's kind (laughs) of like that. It's and even more than, Mm. Uh, and especially with someone that is their age, usually, a few years older.
2: Yeah. How old are you at this time?
1: Uh, I would have been, when I started with men's rugby, I would have been around the same age as the players. Okay. So I would have been between the ages of, when I started 23, and then when I finished, I would have been about 28. So yeah, quite a bit older by the end. But with with teams like rugby, you're going to have a lot of guys that are just over the age. Right. Uh, And then same thing with men's hockey. You're going to have guys that are in their mid-20s too. So there's always a bit of a connection there. But... It, it's it's again it's somebody that's a little bit younger than who you're dealing with as your head coach, and a lot Typically. of the time even you're as your assistant coach. And it's also something that doesn't have the same stress as practice. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have the same worry. It's it's you can you can relax and you can mm-hmm. have a little bit more fun there. And mm-hmm. I usually tried to make sessions a bit more fun, whether it was music, whether it was jokes, whether it yeah. was the fact warm ups were a little bit different. And and obviously it was it was something I had fun with too. So had, it was
2: mutual. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a mutual sort of experience. I agree. I mean, I was obviously obsessed with being in the weight room. It was very much for me at that stage at UBC. It was like a haven, and I think you nailed it. No one's critiquing your performance unless you happen to be doing a like physical tank day. But for the most part, that is really kind of the zone where you get to just hang out with your teammates and yeah, and banter and interact with a coach that's not the one that's putting you on the lineup that weekend and it's a real privilege it's i think one of the reasons why i have so much love and so much adoration and admiration for all of the snc coaches that i've had like joe or alan pepper that i worked with at level 10 they're these they're this mentor figure in a sense like they're a coach in every respect but they're also there's there's less of a need to try to impress them in terms of like your performance like you obviously want to be like respectful and i absolutely respect the absolute shit out of Joe and, and Pep, and I would, you know, probably do anything to, for Joe to be like, yeah, good, good. But, all... it is, it's it's a different dynamic, it's a different relationship. And I think in a lot of ways, it's it's not necessarily more special, but there is, there is a bit more of a, yeah, there's a bit more of like a, I, I, the word that's coming to mind is almost like an intimacy, but it's hard to describe.
1: No, I, I think you're right though too. I think it's just because it's a closer... It's not even that it's necessarily in a closer context, actually. I, I mean, the one you would have had with trainers certainly mm. is because it's a it's a smaller setting. And that is one of the reasons why I realized that I wanted to pursue more private training as mm. opposed to university setting because sure. of the personal relationships. But I, you're completely right. I think there's almost like a vulnerability to it. Like mm-hmm. you, are, you are more comfortable with your trainer a lot of the times than you are with your head coach because you don't want to show them weakness and mm. you know you, you might not play it's
2: hundred yeah, percent there's there's 100%. more on the line there's real consequences yeah to how you show up that day whereas yeah in the, in the gym it was way less it was way less that it was usually if you show up you work hard and then it was a win and, yeah you know there was a there were a lot of days i showed up and worked hard in, in the on the court and it was not a win <laughs>
1: yeah well and i think too maybe it's because a lot of the people that get involved in coaching and strength mm. conditioning specifically they do it because they care more about the individual and Mm. at least from my experience the people that I've worked that's who they care about Mm. they care about the the person and they usually lament having to beholden themselves to the administration or the organization that they are are working for because it's it's about oh man I wanted to help this player Mm. i wanted to do this for them and i think Mm. that bleeds through a lot of the time with just how they at least at least the good ones Mm. how they care about the athletes that they work with and so it's easier for the athletes it's it's that quote you know it's it's people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care Mm. and and most people who work in coaching specifically training or strength conditioning they they really care because there is no other reason for them to do it absolutely none
2: absolutely none So then what happens so what happens next? You're at UBC and then what year are we? Where are we going? Where Uh, are we going next?
1: We are at UBC up until uh, well, technically I only finished my masters in twenty twenty after hitting the the time cap on taking five years to do a one year program. I had happens, it happens. I I had left UBC. I'd been transitioning out probably the year before COVID and then with COVID I that, that was kind of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I had always intended to, you know, maybe pop back every now and then, but mm-hmm. it hasn't happened since. And the big thing that kind of clarified that to me was the first year uh, after being out of UBC, I had so much more show up in North Van uh, working level 10. I had so many more, whether it was hours or groups, or it was just clear that there were a lot of people for me to connect with there. Mm-hmm. So it was able to f- kind of fill that void almost mm-hmm. that I would have gotten at at UBC working with all the athletes there. Mm-hmm. And and it, it took a minute too because when I got to when I switched over more, you, you know, I went from being maybe 60-70% of my day was working with people who were young and were athletes Neat. to maybe 80% of my day being with people who were general population mm-hmm. and not playing a competitive sport. Who are a little bit outside of my my age bracket and I didn't relate with as closely right away. But it's it's actually been a lot of those people who I still the only reason I, I train general population people at this point is if I like them as people. <laughs> Otherwise, I I really have no interest in in working with them if if they're not, you know, my kind of people. Sure. Uh, and I've been able to, through a bit of good fortune who I worked with and my my passion for what I do and my ability to do it that yeah. most of my sessions now are primarily working with, or a lot of my sessions are working with, with athletes mm-hmm. uh, and especially during the summers.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: being able to step into running a summer hockey program, mm-hmm. that, that is really the, the pinnacle of why I coach. Cause it's the same kind of like electric feeling I get at, at UBC working okay. with teams, but you really get, the relationships with people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you at that point too, I was really starting to see the long-term change. Yeah. By the time it had been about 5 years of working with guys. Right. You see who they who they're becoming as sometimes as people yeah. and you know, as adults like they they've grown up in front of your eyes and sometimes like professional athletes mm-hmm. to see them go from like 14-year-old kids who, you know, are just starting their junior career right. to signing up like a professional contract is Insanely rewarding. It makes it feel like it's—it's it's all you know, worth it. All those long days that you guys spent together. All those things where you guys were working on this bit of minutia, that yeah. bit of minutia, yeah. or all the hours you spent thinking about what they could do to be in the best situation possible to move forward in their career. Mm. It, it just, like, it seems like everything is worthwhile at that point.
2: Yeah, to see to see that, well, yeah, to see the change from the inside out, but then to actually see some of those, I don't want to say results, but to see when you're working with someone that has such a specific goal, and quite frankly, a goal that's, you know, a pretty big long shot, if we're just speaking pure statistics, but then to be able to see them really, like, reap the fruits of your joint efforts as a collective but I want to hear more about the the hockey program because like like you mentioned earlier I do not have access to this these incredible insta stories that I hear about. So tell tell me about tell me about the hockey program. What is it? How have you designed it? What's the what's the ethos behind behind it? Walk me through it.
1: So the hockey program started probably 2013 when one of the people one of the people that mentored me the most, Carl Bergstrom, and I were working together at Level 10. So this was in 2013 when I started interning. In the following year, we ran the program together. I was the younger assistant coach, and Carl kind of managed the whole thing. Then over the years, I got given more and more responsibility, and Carl was chasing kind of larger and larger objectives and career goals, and that led him to leaving Level 10, where I was then able to take over the program and make it... More of my own than even more. Carl was still in Vancouver at that point. So there was still kind of his shadow around. But he then left for California to work for the Golden State Warriors. Yeah. So it was was really cool to see somebody that was so close to me. Be able Mm. to take that kind of large professional step. And it really, it it inspired me a lot to see that there was so much more available. But I also knew that I really loved what I was doing with the program. So every summer we work with everything from junior all the way up to pro, hockey players that are from the North Vancouver area. And a lot of these kids have been, they're really, they've just been here their their whole career really. A lot of them started when they were 14 or 15. So a lot of them that I work with are born in the you know year 99 or 2000 <laughs> mm-hmm. and are reaching that point where they are entering professional contracts now or going into that stage of their life or they're, maybe they're transitioning out depending on where where you know things have led them. So every year there's maybe 30 kids that come through, sometimes closer to 40, but usually in that ballpark. Mm-hmm. And that's broken down into about five groups that for years I was the only one running. For about two years when, when Carl left, I ran every single one instead of us sharing them. And then... In the last couple years, I've been able to delegate that out a little bit so that okay. I have other people working with me. I, it really is just like the, it's it's the best time of year. It's, it's kind of when I, I come alive. <laughs> so once May hits, it's people just start rolling in. And kind of like I said before about the, the interpersonal connection that you get, because I've known a lot of these guys for so long, I always make sure that with the ones that have been here for a while, that we do some kind of interview before we start, okay. we sit down, oh, similar to doing like this, similar yeah. to the podcast almost. I make sure I do. And, and usually it, it, it ends up taking at least an hour with each guy. Mm-hmm. And in the past two years, because of COVID, we've done just through FaceTime. So we haven't even done an assessment and it still takes 40 to you know 60 minutes. What's just, the, what's just the
2: content? What's the content of these interviews? It's, it's a lot of just
1: kind of talking about how their year went, talking about what they want to achieve that that summer and then just getting them to be really specific about what it is that they are really trying to do by achieving that thing. A lot of guys will say, oh, you know, I need to get faster, I need to get bigger and trying to go one step maybe below that into, okay, like, what, what does that mean to you? What does fast um, mean to you? Where are you slow? Is that, you know, you're the typical first three steps? Is it first three steps when you're, Trying to make a decision at the same time? Is it when you're trying to change direction or the play's moving past you? Or is it maybe when it's behind you or when, it's, when someone's coming at you? Is it a decision-making thing or is it just sheer physical capacity?
2: Trying to just get granular with yeah. not only what the goal is, but like why the goal is the goal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes too, if it's something like, you know, I need to get a little bit bigger in my upper body, or maybe I just need to be stronger in my corner. Okay, what is it in particular that means to you? Mm. Is it when you're battling with someone, is, is that where you need to feel stronger? So is it that feeling of stronger? Is it like manipulating another person? That's right. what we're trying to do? Or is it just... Maybe sometimes it's, it's a confidence thing. Sometimes it's, mm. you know, you've been hit a few times and you, you just don't really have a lot of padding on your shoulders and you, you want to feel a bit more ready to take impact. So sometimes it can be that, but it, it's trying to go in depth a little bit more with the players that I work with because I, I really just genuinely want to know how to... I'm half of that
2: them. conversation is just like a catch up.
1: It, it really is, yeah. Like, a lot of the time, it's just kind of catching up on what's going on. And we, we talk through the year just through text, but mm-hmm. it, it is a stark contrast to the summer where I probably see them more than anyone else. So we do about 70 sessions over the course of the summer, mm-hmm. and most of those run close to two hours. Okay. So I, I see them a lot, and through July and August, I see them Monday to Friday every day.
2: It's like summer camp.
1: It, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. In more ways than one.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have like that really like insular feeling where you're around each other all of the time. It's kind of a unique scenario. You're all kind of going through it. There's also something I really think about. And this comes up a lot when we talk about like team building. There's something about physical activities and like being witnessed, being tired and being witnessed, being exhausted and being witnessed in your in like you're in a, in a vulnerable position that's w- incredibly bonding it's why military people are so close obviously that's a really extreme example but it's it's a big it's a big thing i don't know if there's any like data on it, but anecdotally, that is a thing.
1: No, it's it's. I, I completely agree. I I think we go a little bit too crazy comparing <laughs> training to like military lifestyle, mm-hmm. and like like I really hate making the analogy because it, it is so different. Oh, but there there are. It's so easy to make the analogy for a reason. Like it is mm-hmm. a, a light version, but just just like sports mm. are a kind of a microcosm of life and society. Mm. They, you know, there are, you are working as a team mm-hmm. towards a common goal mm-hmm. for where there may be risks to you. You, mm. you know, no sport is, you know, especially contact sports mm-hmm. are without risk and you are seeking to yeah. win. Yeah. The, the ultimate objective is a little bit less life and death than in war. But sure. But you, you are trying to win by making someone else lose.
2: Here, so I'm going to be a bit selfish here. A a concept that I'm really trying to work through in my own in my own work is with when it comes to like trying to help coaches, is one of the things that I see being one of the biggest challenges that coaches with today's generations are facing is trying to balance the needs of the group versus the needs of the individual. So you have an individual athlete who's on your team that has individual goals, they want to play more, they wanna get to the next level or They want to really improve in this skill and that skill, but the team might have goals that hopefully those are aligned, but sometimes they might not be. And so I'm curious in your setting where these guys are coming to you in the summer and they all have very specific individual goals, like you mentioned, get bigger, get faster, get stronger, but then you're also creating this team environment. So where do you see the balance or where do you try to make sense of that?
1: Well, I think that that's one of the big reasons why I do what I do and I know that the collegiate or professional sports setting is not for me because I am so much more concerned with mm. the needs of the individual. Sure. and it's it's easier for me because it's one, kind of a private setting where you can pick and choose a little bit, mm-hmm. but two, a lot of these guys have grown up together. Mm. So they their needs are usually, as a group, are, are very similar. And if I were to add someone to that group, actually, that's, that's a really good example. So th- this year we had a couple groups where there was, there was more turnover than usual. Uh, mm-hmm. There was one age bracket where everyone was, uh, they aged out. They aged okay. out and it did not look like a lot of them were going to pursue things to the point where they would require training anymore Gotcha. but we had someone join one of the groups and so the first thing I did was I I checked with the existing people in the group and in the program Mm. is this guy a good guy and that that's way more important to me Mm. Uh, I will turn down somebody that is a bit of a stain because I I don't want them around us like even you could be the best player mm. as an individual mm. but it is not worth it to me to bring everyone down around you so you mm. have to want to work hard you you can't just be you know a, a group cancer you, you've got to mm. have like a, a sense of enjoyment about training uh, so it's, it's not just that you're working hard it's that you're having fun doing it too and you, you've got kind of a at least to work in this group yeah. to work in like a, a pro group you want to be a pro too mm. you, you can't just have like lowly career aspirations sure you want to be the best too right that's that how i balance that it is catered towards the individual but then it's just picking the individuals that fit those same values right and it, it, it's trying to make sure those guys align so that they they have a shared motivation right so they're all moving towards our common goal in training of being better as individuals.
2: Right. Okay. So yeah, so there's this, the individual sort of outcome goal is, is, yeah, again, it's really based on the individual, but sort of the mode at which you try to get them to get there is through this sort of like collective effort or this this sense of collective.
1: Yes. Yeah. In in a group, and I I firmly believe that group training is superior to one-on-one almost all of the time. Sure, there are little specific modifications you can make in a program and mm. little things that you'll catch when you're working with somebody one-on-one versus six-on-one, but the competitive atmosphere, the camaraderie, the team yeah. bonding that you get working out with other people and training with other people right. is going to push you to newer heights each time than you would necessarily working out on your own. You can mm. always, you're really only competing against yourself and unless you're, you're an extremely driven individual, right. most people will get more out of working with others.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have the data, but hundred percent. I mean, I would have listening to your hockey program. I would have hundred percent. I would have died to have done something like that. Yeah. I would have absolutely loved to have done that in my off seasons for sure. I, mean, I still would. I still would come to your hockey program. No, that's that's excellent. Okay, shifting gears here a little bit because again, this is something that's really been on our on our minds a lot recently, I know we've been talking for a while already, which I'm not at all surprised by, is this idea what one of the potential downsides to coaching that I've seen from the coaches in my life is this idea of balance, but also this idea of so much of coaching is so lifestyle driven. I know very few coaches who are like, they coach and then they go home. (laughs) You know what I mean? There's so much overlap, and there's so much that they're trying to sort of manage, yeah, again, and balance, so I'm curious, you know, wh- where, where are you at? Where are you at with all that?
1: Yeah, actually, I've got a good story, so at level 10, there's in-house trainers, and then there are external trainers, mm. and so I was talking to one of the, the external trainers, and he was telling me he'd actually worked as a uh, computer programmer prior to okay. this in, in the States, and he, you know, he just really loved, like, the active lifestyle, and he really... Like like the idea of you know just being healthy with people, and he really liked how with coaching or personal training, it's just a job you don't you don't really bring home with you. Yeah, it's uh, just you know you do your sessions and then that's it. To which I was like, I have no idea what you are talking about. This is all I think about sometimes. <laughs> until the hours of the morning, first thing when I wake up, last thing when I go to bed, it is how does what I'm doing during the day, how could it be better? How could what what can we do in service of coaching?
2: Yeah, so what you're describing is sort of like that mental aspect, like the, the, the wheels are never not turning, and the script in your head is never not on coaching.
1: Yeah, and a lot of the time, that's that's where I spent, I think, most of my career. When, when I started, and especially when I was at UBC, mm-hmm. it would be a lot. I, I sacrificed, and, and I mean, it was my own choice, but I spent every hour that I could either coaching, reading about coaching, or trying to do something, or working out. Mm. That that was really it, at the gym that I coached at. Sure. So the pinnacle of this was when I was living in Kits and we'd get up at 4.30 to go out to level 10 by bus to run maybe three or four sessions out there, Mm. and then bus all the way back out to UBC to spend the rest of the day there until maybe 8 or 9 p.m. at night after locking up the gym. Go back home to do it again the next morning.
2: And just for context, like how long is that bus ride from Level 10 to UBC?
1: Hour and a half on a good day.
2: Yeah. 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 So just in terms of the time and the time investment, it was just, it was full. Yeah.
1: And it was, that was all I cared about too. Mm. It it, Like it it completely made sense. There were not many moments during that when I was like, oh, you know, I should be doing something else. Or the, yeah, the time spent doing that. And I think it was, it, it took years before I really started to question whether or not it was all uh, worth it. And because it's so hard to question things when you're in them and mm. they take over everything that you do. Mm. It wasn't, I, I was starting to maybe get a glimpse of it in 2019. So this this is years in. This mm. is this is like six years into the, the coaching journey. Six years
2: into just doing this for what? minimum 12 to 15 hours a day
1: yeah where, where it is taking up I'm, I'm coaching during the summer at, at peak maybe 10 to 14 hours and then I am I am occupying almost all of my day towards coaching at uh, either level 10 or UBC and then I stopped working at UBC and then there was a the pandemic so this was the first time in my adult life where mm. I did I was not able to coach for a period of six weeks. And it, it is, t- to this day, the longest I have ever not worked for. And that really did a number on me. So I mm. had to quite, like I, I lost a a piece of who I was. I lost a big piece of my identity. And so I really tried to fill it with every kind of pers- or personal and professional development possible. Mm. And it led me to realize that, well, one, there was only so much professional development and coaching that I could do. Mm-hmm. And then in the personal development space, it led me in a few of the right directions that there was actually more to life and you can have balance and that will actually make you enjoy your passions more uh, and especially if you discover ones outside of that passion. So that is is where I am now. It is still It is still the thing that I am the most passionate about and know that I have the skill set for. So I know it's what I want to do with my life in some way, shape or form is to is to coach. I I don't always know what what form that takes place in. I love working with groups and I love working with people who are there to grow. So younger athletes, high performance athletes, people who want to make a change and you can really see a change in them. Mm. Now the other area where I'm really starting to feel more motivation is with working with coaches who are a little bit younger than me.
2: Mm, Mentoring?
1: Yeah, mentoring or even just having more colleagues, more people who are on the same level as me that we're just we're just trying to share. And I've been mm. doing this a while, so I have a lot to share.
2: Right. And that's really, yeah, it was, this, this comes back to what we're doing here right now. Yeah, Having that sort of more of that, those open dialogues with people in your field. I wanna backtrack a little bit when you talked about your pandemic experience, not that this hasn't right. been completely beat to dead in every podcast long form, but I'm curious, what was it When you were in that mode, that full-on, blinders-on, this is what I love, this is what I'm doing all day, every day, was there any sort of wherewithal that this wasn't the only way, or were you just head down? What was the thought process when it came to balance at that stage?
1: At that stage, it was probably, it it was two things. It's, one, I was pretty content with what I was doing, and I was doing well enough at it because I put so much work in that I I could have you just kept hope, going. I, I could have just kept going and things would have worked out just fine. Sure. But there was, you know, maybe a little bit of a voice in the back of my head that it's, I don't know if it said that it's, there's there's more that you can do with your time and there's mm. more that you can do that isn't just coaching. You want to make sure that you're living a full life. Then when COVID happened and I had to stop,
0: Yeah. that, that was it.
1: It's It's when I stop and mm. you get a chance to look around and take a second second look at things. So you, you get to think about things on a grander scheme.
2: But you even said, though, that you went full personal development. So did you, did you yeah. really take a break? By John's standard, probably. By John's
1: standards, yes. Because it was time that I could devote to myself mm. instead of only to myself for other people. Because there was there was no one to train. Mm. Like, I oh, I tried yeah. doing some of the online stuff, and it just wasn't the same. So... It was trying to figure out how to be better at what I do. And then I realized there was really not that much more out there <laughs> as far as like it's, it's coaching pretty young or strength and conditioning is relatively young, but there's, there's really only so many ways to
2: do, what you do, do. it.
1: And if you've got a good set of underlying principles, you're usually going to be fine. So what was next was how do I, you know, optimize every other part of what I do? How, right. where, where, where do I take the, the larger lessons And then how do I, how do I grow with this? And this might've been a product of, you know, being around different friends that weren't in coaching as well too. Like my then roommate at the time wasn't, so it was maybe having a slightly different perspective, but having that time off to ask myself kind of what I wanted from coaching and from life, it was a bit of a wake up call. And then the, the following year only pushed me further into that, that really made me ask a lot more questions about what it was that was important to me and what uh, like how how I spent my time and how I wanted to live the rest of my life and that's that's been a big thing for me in the last six months especially really trying to figure out what what is important to me what are what are the things that I really value Mm. and how I spend my time so coaching is how I spent a lot of my time but there were things that I would have told you I valued but if I didn't spend any time doing them it's clear that they're not actually a priority so it's trying to align my life to that so that I, I live one that is more like I, I, I to simplify it it's it's one where you know you win you win at life like you are doing something that makes you happy mm. you are doing other activities that give you energy instead of just diving down a rabbit hole on one to the point where it it drains you of it. I I. Also started to see a lot of people, whether it was right before COVID or right in it, switch careers that were also coaches. And that that might have been a bit of a, oh, these guys can't make it work.
2: I so people leaving coaching. Yeah. Right. And what do you think the general, what, what, do you, like, what do you think it is the general sort of thing that was making all these people leave?
1: It, it's something, uh, it's... In simple, there's there's the money aspect. Uh, so people don't know how to keep doing coaching and earn a living relative to the hours effort. that they are they are working. Yeah, They're putting in so much, yeah. so much hard work. And they yeah. are, unfortunately, a lot of the time you are just trading time for money. So it's it's only relative to the amount of hours you put in. And if you are going to work that hard, yeah. you might as well do something that you earns you more money.
2: Yeah, you wanna see it. Yeah. yeah,
1: so there's that. But I also think it's coaching itself is it 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 attracts people because it aligns with some of their values like being healthy being active leading sharing giving value to others
2: helping yeah yeah yeah.
1: but it it doesn't align with the other ones that they aren't maybe clear on until it's oh i want to do this thing more whether it's having free time to pursue other hobbies activities maybe you value traveling and it can be very hard to travel when you're a coach. It can be very mm-hmm. limiting. If you you know, always want to be there for your clients, I know it's something I've struggled with. It's easy right. to make excuses if I want to go away. It's, oh, well, you know, well, but this person needs me. This person needs my help.
2: Right. Yeah. And that's something that I, I often talk to. I talk to my dad about and I talk to myself about in, in, you know, my role, which is similar but very different in the sense that it's, at the base of it, oh, it, it, is, it is, it's a helping role, is that a saying or a mantra that I have in my work is, it's not about me. Yeah. So that's something I say to myself on the daily. So for instance, what you said, if I can't meet with an athlete on, you know, the day that they really need to talk or something like that, I have to constantly remind myself it's not about me. I'm not going to be the difference maker, good or bad. And that's really been kind of a, yeah, a comfort in some ways. But also, uh, yeah, in other ways, a kind of a motivator. But even it really comes back to what you're saying. You Have to be able to step away and and again, like not kind of have that like immediately that immediate guilt. But it, it is it is difficult, especially when you want to be there. It's not like you feel obligated to be there.
1: Yeah, no, and that's that's really work to using guilt because it's it's you feel this guilt and almost like shame mm. about it because it's you feel like you are a bad person for yeah. not being there at that point in time. And it's 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 completely self-implied too most of the time. It yeah. is usually you're not receiving that feedback from the other person. Uh, it is usually you calling yourself yeah. a failure or a yeah. bad coach or a yeah. bad person because you're not there for them.
2: Well, and it, most people are pretty reasonable. And if you're busy going to Sayulita, they're probably like, oh, great, like for John, going to Mexico, great. You know, you just really don't have an appreciation for other people's just like reasonableness. It can really get lost on you really quick if you're yeah, if you're like a head down in it. How are we doing for time?
1: We are at we're an hour cypher. Let's Should we see. go
2: rapid fire? Should we have a song?
1: So the <laughs> rapid fire question is is actually to what, what it brings to mind for me is Yeah. When we do our field sessions in the summer, and one year there there's a soccer camp that usually runs at the same time as us. Okay. And there is this older I want to say Scottish coach running these kids through a drill where it is they have to get as many shots on the net as possible in okay. I want to say 60 seconds he is just walking around going rapid fire rapid fire rapid fire rapid fire every now and then he'd yell at the time 30 seconds rapid fire rapid fire for a minute straight and that okay. is what comes to mind the first for me whenever I hear Rapid fire.
2: I feel like you should just get that clip of you saying that and then we'll give it to Evan and he can like remix it for us. And that will be the rapid fire theme song. Just John saying rapid fire. Okay, these are a work in progress.
1: So, rapid fire, the questions are short in form, but the answers can be as hopefully as short as you can make. Well,
2: yeah, so we'll be here for another about half an hour. Okay, so what are you consuming right now?
1: I am a lot of entrepreneurial minded podcasts. I listen to a lot of the My First Million podcast and I've been using a lot of their ideas on whether it's business or just different mindsets, perspectives, whatever and trying to apply them either to coaching or coach
2: development. Right. Okay. I get it. So taking these sort of entrepreneurial aspects and then applying them into coaching. Number two, what was your dream job as a kid? What did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid?
1: I think first one, same as everyone, I wanted to be a vet until you realize you're dealing with sick animals.
2: Oh, are you an animal guy?
1: I was as a kid.
2: I did watch you play with that dog in the parking lot yeah. for yeah a while today. Okay, what's the most underrated quality you see in coaches or good coaches?
1: Most underrated, I think just basic social skills just the ability that's to that's
2: underrated.
1: Well, or under under present. Okay. At least it's not there enough. It doesn't we talk a lot oh, technically. Oh, you you jumped ahead
2: It's another one of my questions. Ah, right, yeah, fair. so what okay, so I guess let me, let me rephrase the question. What's a quality in coaches that often gets overlooked but is super important to an effective coach?
1: Right off the bat, I think we look for people who have a lot of technical information, but yeah. I think I think it's still kind of the same answer. It's it's being able to fit Social. in. It's it's yeah. being able to be like a, a culture fit. A culture fit. Okay. Yeah, so that you you work well in and, and in my setting, working with a group so that you can right. get along with people really well. It's it's not it it's not that it's underrated. It is the most it's it's the more important thing, but it's just because it's not quantifiable.
2: Sure, you can't be like yeah how often do you fit right into groups like yeah okay yeah it's it's not on a resume yeah i understand yeah what's one thing all of your athletes tease you about
1: i would hope at this point probably my hair since it's longer (laughs) than it's been
2: since any of them well after they listen to this podcast they'll they'll, they'll be yeah they'll be ripe with ripe with with the content okay what's the coachiest thing about you other than the The fact that you take seven minutes to answer a rapid fire question
1: yeah, that I can't sh- I can't stop. <laughs> I only know how to answer in long form. Just the how much I like dad jokes. Okay. Yeah, the worse the joke the better.
2: Yeah, nice. Nice. What's one coaching trend that needs to die?
1: Just copying what you see on the internet and doing it with people
2: mm- right away. The old copy and paste method. Yeah. Okay, what's one trend that needs more attention? More attention.
1: Uh, I don't know if it's a trend at this point anymore, but if it needs more attention, it's already on its way there. But being less concerned with The exercises you pick, your methods, and being more concerned with the adaptations that you're producing. So don't worry about how you're doing it as long as you achieve the end result you're looking for.
2: What was your, what was the moment where you were like, oh, I'm in, I'm hooked? There were
1: probably two. So it was, I think the first time I... Was in the full chaos of like a UBC rugby warm up, yeah. and probably whenever I got to play the music too. Whenever Joe wasn't there, and and we got to blast music at you know 6 p.m. at night, and then probably the first time when one of the the players I work with in the summers called me to let me know that he had been offered a professional contract. Mm. And I knew it was like this is like that's that that is to this day one of the mm. one of the coolest moments. Yeah. That's special stuff.
2: Okay, last question. Advice for your coaching self?
1: It's hard because a lot of what I did then led me to where I am now to find the Mm -hmm. solutions that I have. A lot of of our problems lead us to where we are now, so it's hard to know that if we change something, it would lead us to a better place. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do think that if I were to go back and change anything, it Mm -hmm. might be this is, this is the weirdest piece. But when I started coaching, one of my clients gave me Tim Ferriss' book, book, Tools of Titans. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's massive. It's like 600 pages. Okay. So I read like a little bit of it. And I didn't finish it until maybe 2019. But that is what set me on the personal development rampage of reading everything I could get my hands on in the last two years. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that maybe if I I did that a little sooner, maybe I would have gotten to where I am now a little bit sooner. So in in short, just, you know, just keep reading.
2: All right, John, that that concludes rapid fire.
1: Yeah. And hopefully the first of many episodes of of In Depth. So Katie, thank you very much.
2: Oh my God, please, please have me back. Hopefully I will, yeah, I'll have me back. I mean, I'm not a coach, but.
1: yeah. Yeah, hey, we can do mini episodes or yeah, something. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I don't think we really swore to, so we're not gonna get kicked off the app store or anything. Yeah,
2: we didn't like have any like sponsored drops, you know.
1: Nothing, not yet. You know, we're taking ads though. I mean, I'll, this, like, I'll, I'll take any. This
2: episode definitely was sponsored by Joe McCullum.
1: Yes. Uh. <laughs> yeah, Joe, we look forward to having you on in 99 episodes. Yeah,
2: just can't wait. I'll yeah. come in and we'll we'll interview him together for sure. Yeah.
1: Oh man, that would be great. Yeah. That would be the one. If he doesn't come on, I'll just do an impression for an hour.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be that would be really excellent. That would
1: really do it for yeah, him. That for would sure. be the one. So, well yes, thank you very much. And if you've made it this far and you're listening, thank you. I I I, I appreciate you so much. Yeah, and this is this has been episode of episode one of Two Death with John. Featuring Kate.